Skyline Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Rogers, and on this podcast, we are looking at God at work in Canadian cities. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy as a pastor in an urban church is the uh, relationships that I have with both staff and people that attend the church uh, that come from other nations. And uh, it's in those interactions and in those uh, ways of understanding each other that we discover so much more of the depths of the kingdom of God. Well, uh, at the Our City Conference Toronto, uh, back at the end of May, one of the presenters was Heskus Mandefro. Uh, Heskus has been serving in a pastoral ministry uh, for over 17 years at the Ethiopian Evangelical Church in Toronto. It's a language church where Amharic is the primary language, uh, but he is the English pastor since there are multiple generations in the church and kids growing up in Canada um, are more fluent in English. So he finds himself functioning many times as a cultural translator between generations. He strives to lead with ideas that are well thought through biblically and culturally, and is passionate to engage ethnic churches in reaching their city. So let's go to his session and hear what he has to say. Hi everyone, welcome. I probably should welcome myself first. <laughs> um, my name is uh, Heskius. I uh, come from um, the Ethiopian Evangelical Church in Toronto and Scarborough. We're kind of all over the place. Um, maybe I'll just tell the story of uh, how our church came to be. Uh, that would just be kind of part of um, our um, conversation today. Um, I'm married to a beautiful young lady uh, named Beatty. Um, they, uh, right now with my two kids, uh, my six-year-old and one-year-old are in a swimming pool in um, San Diego as we speak, I know. <laughs> so they keep sending me pictures from the beach. Um, so I go to a Starbucks and just show them how amazing our weather is. <laughs> So um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's a definitely a privilege uh, for me to be here. Um, connected to um, mainly um, the Ethiopian Evangelical Church was part of the PAOC. Then um, a few years ago, we kind of joined the Christian Missionary Alliance. But back in the days, I had the privilege of um, connecting with EJ. I don't know how. Does everyone know EJ? All right. So I was EJ's roommate. <laughs> in Bible college, and I'm glad his mom is here. <laughs> Your title is My title is EJ's mom. EJ's mom. <laughs> and um, I've, uh, yeah, so it's uh, we had uh, a, a God moment um, in, in 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 that season, and little do we know, I don't know, 18 years later, we're still doing kingdom work. Um, so I've had the privilege of being able to see God work in his life and his ministry. Um, yeah, I'm still uh, dealing with the trauma of having been his roommate. I told the story. Um, when I woke up for one of my birthdays, um, he woke me up for my birthday, which was very nice of him. Um, but um, uh, I was tight. 
to the bench. <laughs> Top down. I didn't know stuff like this can go down in Canadian schools as an Ethiopian. That was a shocker. <laughs> I thought we fleed from that kind of life. <laughs> Turned around, uh, man is sitting on me. Um, <laughs> I know, I guess we're recording this, so. <laughs> um, and uh, he had a fake knife. Uh, on, on my neck. Um, I know. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, he doesn't need a timeout. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> that was the height of um, our, our, our friendship. Um, it's funny, we're very different, completely different people. Uh, we had two things in common. Uh, Jesus uh, was at the center of our um, the variety in our lifestyle. And to music, so we played uh, music quite a lot. Um, we got ourselves in trouble quite a lot. And from day one, um, one of the things that was unique for both of us were we were culturally different. You know, we were the only non-white <laughs> people in the on the dorm floor, I think. And um, and it was it was quite interesting. It didn't even click. We never talked about it. But you know, there's always there, there's always moments. He would look and like, I guess it is what it is. But we we knew, you know, one another, and um, and this was in two thousand one, two thousand two, two thousand three days. So uh, we had a lot of things in common. Um, and when and when he called recently and and he mentioned, hey, there's this thing going on. Uh, would you be able to talk about bridging the gap between cultural churches? Um, I figured, okay, maybe there's something there. Uh, so the conversation today, I have to be honest with you, I'm not a, I'm, I'm a pastor at heart. <laughs> I'd rather sit 101 and just hear stories and cry and sob and pray. Um, or maybe sometimes the, the father in me kind of kicks in and just lecture and teach and talk, you know. Um, um, I'm not very good at doing uh, workshops, so please help me out, <laughs> ask questions. What I'm trying to do is um, maybe just tell stories. I hope this would be a good benefit of, um, of your time. What has happened since we left our Bible college is um, I, I, I joined a PAOC church. I was on staff for a bit. Uh, multi, more of, a, I guess it was um, more of a black church, I would say, a Caribbean church. Um, we were there, I was there for a few months and then transitioned into an ethnic church, Ethiopian Evangelical Church. I've been there 18 years later. <laughs> so, um, and I've kind of journeyed through what, um, I guess, what, now it's kind of interesting, that I'm, 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 it's funny that I'm actually giving a workshop in hindsight. <laughs> I guess God had a plan. For me, I, have no, I had no idea what God was doing, but looking back, there's a lot that God has done. Um, at least I would be testifying for the goodness of the Lord. Um, that's my heart. Um, and if it's any use, uh, please ask any questions. I'm not an expert, but just here to testify what God has done. Um, the topic I was given is um, our city rebuild, um, bridging the gap in cultural churches. So as I mentioned, um, I grew up in Ethiopia and I believe I was grateful when I heard God's audible voice where he told me, you will serve me and you are mine. 
I was so small that I thought serving meant being an usher. <laughs> because people that are serving in those days were ushers, you know, in, in the church. And this is in Ethiopia. Um, little did I know he had greater plans. I also thought that meant um, maybe just serving as an usher forever. But um, I do remember in that dream a picture of an airplane, you know. And, uh, and again, in hindsight, you know, it's nice when you talk about it. But at that point, I had no idea what that plane was. But what it actually meant was after some time, my family would immigrate to Canada, uh, a new nation. Um, that was not planned at all. My dad had a random invitation to his brother's graduation in Montreal McGill. He came and he's like, hmm, maybe we should just live, live, live here. So he decided to stay here. And two years later, we're in Canada. You know, it looks like it was all planned, but absolutely no. But God had a plan, you know. Um, still trying to figure it out. <laughs> Not that I have arrived. So came here, and I remember looking at my guidance counselor as a new immigrant kid. I knew English, um, but my identity was really formed in Ethiopia, and I was fully confused now. I'm in a different culture, a different setting. I remember guidance counselor asking me, hey, what do you want to do when you're, when you're graduating from, 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 from high school? And I said, I'm going to be a priest. <laughs> I guess it meant the pastor, you know. Um, um, but right after that, um, I realized that there really wasn't um, an opportunity for someone like myself to actually get a job as a pastor, you know? Because the Ethiopian churches back then had nothing for youth. I was the youngest kid going to Ethiopian churches, services. But I also had the sense of a call. So I decided, you know what? There's nothing for me in terms of ministry in Canada because I'm in a different country. I don't belong here, right? So I got to make my money. So I went and did computer science. <laughs> I did IT. By the grace of God, I survived it. Um, finished in my last project, then got in a car and moved to Bible College in Peterborough, where I met EJ. Um, and, uh, and then. Because I was, uh, because of my, my program, um, I had a condensed degree, and I was blessed. It was the best decision of my life. Um, graduated from Bible College. Obviously, an immigrant kid wouldn't get an opportunity, so worked in IT for, I don't know, 10, 12, 13 years or something like that. Um, 15 years in IT, I worked. Um, then started uh, doing ministry in, uh, in ethnic church. Uh, two years ago, I finally went on uh, as a full-time basis, so I've kind of done this for um, a bit of time. Um, and that's really me. Um, now, what is interesting is God always has a plan, and we're the ones that are catching on. So 37 years ago, uh, when EJ told me the conference is at Stone Church, it blew my mind away, because 37 years ago, in 1985, an immigrant woman, two immigrant women, came to Stone Church. Her one was Wirknish, um, another one was Sennite, I believe. They were they joined a pastor. I don't think I'm pronouncing his name right, but they I'm told Mackinet. Um, he welcomed them, and he encouraged them, 
and they didn't understand the language, so he allowed them to pray in their own language, but at the same time, he embraced them. So somewhere in this building. A few months later, um, a well-known high official captain from Ethiopia and Air Force ended up coming. What was going on was in Ethiopia, there was this communist, Ethiopia was a communist nation, there was a lot of persecution, a lot of stuff was going on, so a lot of immigration started happening. So Ethiopians started flooding Canada. So those two people added with the third captain in the Bible study somewhere in this room, ended up growing into three, four, five, and a few months later, I am told, um, that captain, now a pastor, told me uh, the other day, um, they had, they invited someone, and for the first time, they had 25 Ethiopians in 1985. They had a conference here. That was the very first Ethiopian Amharic speaking meeting that happened in Canada. So for the next 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, um, now not a lot of people are around, but if, if you talk to anyone and use the term stone church, Ethiopians think it's the Ethiopian church. <laughs> because it started here, it started here, but no one knows this, you know? Um, God had a plan, but that pastor had a heart for a person. Building relationships with ethnic churches, forget the ethnic part. It's all relationships. It's all people. Till this day, that pastor remembers how welcoming past that senior pastor was for them. Um, make a long story short, um, that small group ended up being 25 people. They had a conference with 25 people. They started a prayer ministry where even the Orthodox priests used to come and pray here because there was no other place where Ethiopians would actually be able to gather. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> so for us Ethiopians, an Eastern Orthodox person praying with a Pentecostal, it doesn't happen. A lot of the people are persecuted from Ethiopia and are in Canada because they are persecuted by Orthodox people. <laughs> So what happened was in one of the rooms they were praying, and the, the, uh, the pastor was telling me, but one of the ladies, as they start praying the Lord, they start praying the Lord's Prayer. There's no church, no structure, new country. All people cared about is someone that understood them. So as they were praying, the Orthodox priest prayed the Lord's Prayer and then started doing Hail Mary. Church fight number one started that <laughs> night. <laughs> One of the ladies like, I left the country to be able to pray as I believe to be true. So these people are not, so I was not very wise. That priest now is the priest uh, in, um, in Toronto, the biggest Ethiopian church. They probably pack, I don't know, 1,000 plus people. The biggest Ethiopian church in North America, uh, in Canada. Uh, and the Orthodox priest happened in a prayer room here. Also, <laughs> the Ethiopian Evangelical Church started now there are over 20 Ethiopian churches in the city of Toronto. Um, there are over 40 something. Sure, I could live with water. <laughs> there are over 40 something Ethiopian churches. Thank you. And I hope I don't, I, 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 I'm, I'm hoping you would hear this story and translate it into your own culture. So pardon me if I just talk my story, just replace Ethiopia with 
Jamaica <laughs> or the Philippines, you know? Because I feel like our story is very similar. Um, what is amazing is that church that started here um, ended up being the first Ethiopian church that purchased a building in North America. Days of small beginning. Out of corner, somewhere in this room. I don't know, maybe I, I would want to know which room they started. It, it, they told me they used to do the prayer in a kid's a Sunday school class. 37 years ago. Um, what's interesting is, I'll tell you later on, the worship team that's actually is leading worship tonight, um, the worship leader is a daughter of a friend of one of those ladies. And it took 37 years for us to be able to put the dots together. Ethnic churches just live in a bubble, especially back in the days. So we just do our own thing. And I'm after I finished Bible college, um, I started asking myself, there's a huge opportunity here. Ethnic churches have people, volunteers. <laughs> Denominational churches have leadership, knowledge, degrees. I wonder what it would take to connect those two. So when I hear um, from Kevin that uh, two of the Ethiopian pastors I knew from back in the days are on staff with him, I'm like, yes. We're coming together. This is amazing because back in the days, this never really happened. Um, so, 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 so for me, the struggle finishing Bible college was how, how do we build? Because in my head, I have this word from God, like I'm, we're we're coming into this country because we're sent by God. We're here for a mission. There's a sense that the immigrant church is here to preach the gospel. But every time we go to meetings, it just doesn't, you know? But you go to talk to your people, you connect, you know? So what is the balance? How do you stay true to your people, but at the same time engage with what God is doing in this city? That's kind of has been um, my struggle. I hope uh, this makes sense. Um, it's funny. Uh, after a few years, um, that church had a minor split, um, the Ethiopian church. Then we went to Pape, um, a Pape and Dan for that Calvary church. We were there for 20-something years. God did amazing work in that church. <laughs> uh, Bible college didn't prepare me for that. Um, but what used to bug me was we were there for 20-something years. There's a Calvary church and there's an Ethiopian church. 20-something years, I don't remember a single service we did together. <laughs> right? So the problem with my people is they don't want to do anything in English. <laughs> they want their own language. <laughs> right? The moment you do English, it's like the spirit leaves the room. <laughs> because they want to pray in their heart language, you know what I mean? Um, for the other side also, they just wanted ethnic churches to fit into their method. Mm -hmm. They wanted them to start on time, finish on time. We don't. We'll come. <laughs> don't ask us to finish at a specific time, you know? It's just, that's just culture. So, so there was this, we have always, all I remember, the only time I had a meeting at Calvary Church was when my youth broke something. <laughs> We were bad. Like, my youth were really bad. So inner, inner city youth, you know? 
uh, <laughs> I don't know how to play basketball. Just because I spoke English, they trusted me with youth ministry. <laughs> <laughs> I went in, started youth ministry. For six months, I didn't do anything. Uh, went downstairs. Are you starting service? No, I'm not starting service. But after six months, the gym would be packed with a bunch of people. And one day, got called into our senior pastor got called into the office. Um, Calvary Church, now it's a joke now because it's years past. It was not a joke then. Calvary Church um, called us saying, there's a situation, sure. There was a funeral that happened at Calvary Church. And I had an inner city youth playing basketball. I'm praising Jesus, man. Kids from the street, there's drugs happening, there's weed going on. We're not telling anybody, you know, we're clearing the room. We're just hoping Jesus would touch them, you know? <laughs> There's fights breaking out, the police coming, and, you know, putting myself on the line, getting. So, not really organized, totally no plan to protect in place. <laughs> <laughs> but you, I, we would have 40, 50 youth from the city. Other programs are sponsored. They would be thankful if they had five. We would have 50, 60 youth on the, just packed and doing it really bad. So I got called in saying, hey, there's a situation that happened. What happened? There was, uh, see what happened was there was a funeral at Calvary Church. And um, the youth, um, they had the, the service and they went for burial. And I did not know, uh, but my, the youth went in and enjoyed the food that was prepared for the reception. <laughs> So when Calvary Church people came back, and these are very senior, respected individuals, there was no food. So the only time I would be called in would be in moments like this. <laughs> Ethnic churches don't know how to organize themselves. But there's life. This other churches had like five, six, seven, eight people on staff. We had like two pastors for like three, four hundred people. So I lived with this tension of how do you work with this? You know, how do you allow ethnic churches to be ethnic, but at the same time be able to work with what God is doing in the city? That's kind of has been um, my challenge. Um, one of the things that we tell Calvary Church back in the days was if we're finishing service, if they want us to finish service at four, we only we always tell our people we're finishing service at two thirty. <laughs> plan for the move, the spirit of God to move. You know, just you just gotta plan um, for the culture. You know, um, and not cultural translation. And I'll, I'll talk about that a little later because there's a lot of work that has to happen in our heads um, when we're. Yeah, so, 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 so um, definitely not saying um, if, if, if some of our people, um, they're, they're coming, um, 3.30 this thing starting, I, I would tell them um, probably 2 o'clock, and they will be here at 3.50. <laughs> but I feel like that, for me, that's just loving the person, in embracing their person, not trying to change them. Because the thing is, the, those people who are actually showing up late, you ask them to pray. They will pray all night long. <laughs> they will pray all night long. So it's not that they don't value 
It's just, Lord help us. Let go. <laughs> um, just because, um, um, yeah, if I could just make a quick biblical remark as to how the gospel bridges culture. Um, if you don't mind, I want to read a text. Um, it won't be a full uh, sermon at all. Um, but Acts chapter 8, 26. What does the Bible say about this cultural gaps? And how, yeah, we have missiologists, we have theologians, we have people that write smart books. But what does, how did the first church do it? Um, I was reading this, and no pun intended, but the story of the Ethiopian eunuch. Told you I'm not a eunuch, I'm married. So, <laughs> no pun intended there. Um, let me quickly read this, and I think I would probably um, just uh, think about the scripture part. Um, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, and on the desert road, uh, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Verse 29, for sake of uh, time, I'll go pretty quick. So he started out on his way to meet the Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candae, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way was sitting on his char chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Um, spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Um, verse 31. Um, verse 30. Now Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading um, Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. How can I? He said, unless someone explains it to me. Um, verse 35. I'll jump. Then Philip began with the very passage of scripture and told him, the good news about Jesus. Um, Philip, from the very past church of scripture, told him the good news about um, Jesus. Um, just asking this question, right? Like, how do we build bridges with different cultures? So in the story, this is a story that you know. I'll try to summarize it very quickly. There are two people, right? Who's the first person is from where? The first person is, the eunuch is from? Ethiopia. Ethiopia. No pun intended again. <laughs> um, and he is a eunuch, right? Um, so in other words, he um, is very different. And he is going to where? The temple, right? The temple uh, where Jewish people would be worshiping Yahweh. Now, there's a lot of history there. And one of, and again, I'm kind of going all over the place, but one of the things I missed um, and I think denominations can do is when we're teaching history of Christianity, we should really teach history of Eastern and Western. Um, it should be global church history. So our experience in most of North American education really is very much Western. So we start off uh, the Roman Empire and we go to probably uh, um, just as everything Rome related, right? Then I don't know. Somehow, some way, we go to the Reformation. Everything is so. I know a lot about Western stuff, but culturally, there's a lot of Eastern stuff that I know. 
And I really couldn't connect to it. And one of the interesting things about why this is um, in, in the story, why we see this Ethiopian eunuch is because I was having a conversation with Dr. Mari. I was asking, tell me about Ethiopian Jews. And he's done his, his, his paper on the Ethiopian Jews. And one of the things he mentioned is that Queen of Sheba in the Old Testament, when she went to see Solomon, when she went back, there's an old story that she actually went back with, with his child. His name is Minelik. Um, so there is a full-blown dynasty in uh, African history of uh, basically the Solomonic dynasty, right? And there were Jews that actually worshipped God um, very, very much close to the way people worshipped in the Old Testament. So it actually is about 25 years ago, the first group of Jews that were airlifted from Ethiopia, right? And they found the type of Judaism that's practiced in Ethiopia is very much close to the one that was practiced in the Old Testament. Right? So there's a lot of history there, and we don't learn that, you know? Um, fast forwarding, so most probably this guy would have heard about Yahweh, the Old Testament God, right? And he would have gone, um, but there was something about him. Even though he had heard about the Old Testament God, he was a cultural outsider, meaning he was not a Jew. <laughs> He would, he would not fit at the temple, right? He is a, a black dude, you know? I don't want to get into that whole conversation. Uh, but definitely a Gentile, an African, an Ethiopian. The Bible does not say he was a Jew. It just says an Ethiopian. His identity was that he was a black man. So he was culturally an outsider. So what we experience at Calvary Church about two cultures, it actually is in Scripture. It's no, there's nothing new, right? But this man, the Bible tells us, who is a cultural outsider, um, is also a eunuch. Um, eunuchs, um, scripture and tells us in Deuteronomy 23, are not allowed to really go into the temple. So he probably would not be allowed to actually worship in the Old Testament temple. So in other words, he probably would be what we call a spiritual outsider, someone that you would look at and say, not sure if he can fit in our services, <laughs> right? Not just because of his culture, but because of his spirituality. I'm not really sure if he belongs here, right? Um, every Jew that, who's the other person? The other person is, who's the second person that we see in the story? Help me out here. I know it's 3.30, 4 o'clock. <laughs> Philip, right? Philip is by by ethnicity. Where is he from? He's a he's probably a Jew, right? Uh, he probably spoke a Jewish language, and they say honestly, I have to Google this, but apparently they say every Jewish man they wake up every day and they would thank God for three, two or three things. Thank God that you have not made me a woman. It's, it's, that's what they say. <laughs> they, thank God that you have not made me a Gentile. So thank God I am not like them, right? So Philip would have been one of those people that would walk around saying, man, I'm so thankful that I'm not like that Ethiopian person. Um, so in the story, what we see in the beginning is there's people who actually are extremely different. And we have so many excuses in our days to say, that's just a different culture, that's just a different type of people. Um, I mean, I don't think we are as different as these two individuals, you know? And the second thing that I see in the scripture is, um, the scripture says, he, let me read it. The, 
Philip became, um, from the passage of scripture, and told him about the good news about Jesus. About Jesus. So in other words, let me say this faster. The message, um, just trying to ground our conversation in, in the text. Um, the gospel may be open to all people, but it's not open to all opinions. So in Canada, we have this tendency of tolerance and let's welcome everyone. The gospel is for all people, but the message does not change for all opinions. There's objectivity to the gospel of Christ. Uh, and we see this in the text beautifully done. So this Jewish man actually runs after it. It's probably the scripture actually, God actually says to him, like, go run near it. God is calling us to run near people that are different than us. But he's not asking us to change our message. I find what, with all due respect, what a lot of Canadian churches are doing is they're changing the message. They're changing the message. No, the, the, the message does not change. It actually, literally, I love what said. For the very passage he was reading and then told him the good news. In other words, Jesus can teach, touch people wherever they're at. Um, the gospel is for outsiders, but the message doesn't change. Um, finally, the gospel deals with um, our heart's cry. Um, I will kind of skip that portion. Um, I should say, I told you, I'm, I'm, I'm not into this kind of stuff. Typically, I need to learn how to do this better. I did all the work, but I actually didn't use it. <laughs> the gospel touches where no one else uh, can reach. What's amazing was when the gospel was preached to him, all of a sudden, without going through the text, if you read Isaiah 53, I believe, he would have read verses that really touch him upon the inside. For example, he would have read to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, a memorial and a name better than sons of and daughters. I will give them everlasting name. You would have read that, right? Uh, a eunuch who has no kid. Now, we, this won't make sense for us, but I come from the culture that actually has a lot of shame and honor in it, and also your status in the community is based on whose kid you are. So if you come to our church, the older people would be, they don't care about what the kids do. <laughs> don't, don't. <laughs> um, but it's all about um, their status in the community that determines your power, right? That, that's how they are. So for a eunuch, not having a child mean it doesn't matter how rich you are, you actually are not valued. And he reads in the gospel the message that says, no, I'm going to give you a name better than any other. For, for, for in those days, your name was your kids. Your names would be... My, this is the tribe of XYZ. Without a tribe, you are nothing. <laughs> so what the gospel says to him, what Jesus says to him is, um, I'm going to give you a name better than, uh, a name better than sons and daughters. What am I trying to say? The gospel for the Ethiopian eunuch hit him where he really was hurting. One of the things I've seen is when um, I guess let me say this in a different way. Um, one of my testimonies in life is I've seen how when we just preach the gospel, cultural differences don't matter. Don't. It, they, they just don't. When our hearts are in the right place, even our mistakes would be redeemed. Um, 
funny story. Um, there was a camp that we were doing, so we're very African in our kind of ministry, so we're into deliverance ministry a lot. And um, there was this day that we had a camp. Um, we were praying for this demon-possessed um, person. Um, good sister of mine till this day now. But that was the first time we, we, we saw that. And the Lord had prepared me for this type of stuff in Ethiopia. But um, it was, we needed to pray again and again. So I actually I brought her to the church on a Monday. Now I live between different worlds. Um, so in, in the Canadian enemy says, of course, you don't pray for a young lady on your own. Um, cultural just churches are not there, you know. So I made sure that I was a, had a senior pastor. Senior pastor, can you be here with me? Let's pray for this person. And I finally realized that the, our pastor actually don't, doesn't speak English. This girl doesn't understand Amharic. How are we going to do deliverance? So am I going to be the translator? <laughs> so, and then how do you cast out a demon in translation? Yeah. Then I'm like, but I'm a child of God too. Does that mean I'm less than the pastor? You know, um, that's, and, and then, you know, we still, the pastor's like, let's just pray, just pray. And he started praying in Amharic. And he just prayed in Jesus' name, I command you to leave in Amharic. This girl does not hear a word of English, started manifesting. Apparently the demon actually heard what the pastor was praying. The girl has no idea. Um, yeah, that was an Language is not an excuse when you're dealing with the supernatural. Um, now, do we have to have dramatic stories like that all the time? No, but I'm hoping it would illustrate something deeper that yeah, English is not an excuse. Not not knowing, um, not knowing, like a a different language is not an excuse. Um, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And what bridges the gap in our churches is really mission. Um, that kind of is the Bible part. Um, let me pause for a second. Anyone, uh, if you have any feedback, and, and, and if you want to say anything, let me just pause. I've talked for a bit, I find. <laughs> um, any reflection, any question, anything interesting, I'll pause for 30 seconds and I'll continue. I think my, my experience uh, with uh, uh, the, the couple that work with me, husband and wife, uh, he's Ethiopian, she's Eritrean, which uh, uh, in Africa would have, yeah. would have meant that they couldn't even be together. Uh, but when they came to Canada, they were pastoring both Ethiopians and Eritreans, and, yeah. and there was this reconciliation, this making mm -hmm. peace that the gospel brings. Um, and I've found that uh, having them as part of the team at the church, uh, they uh, are much more faithful and dedicated in prayer than I have ever been. Yeah. And so they lead our prayer meeting and 30 people come out to it. And we, we have like maybe a church of 120 people, but the Monday night prayer is, is a big deal. Uh, they uh, are 
working uh, in some of our outreach neighborhood ministry and uh, encountering people from every culture. And, um, you know, I, I just think that, that when we stay to our own tribal understanding, uh, we miss out on so much of what God wants to do and can do. And, and uh, you know, I think, I think that, uh, you know, this, everything you're talking about uh, just makes me think we're, we're just starting to scratch the surface in the kingdom of God of what can happen when we work together, when we actually make room for each other and, and honor one another. Yeah. You know, they're not the Africans working for a white pastor. Yeah. We're working together. Yeah, yeah. No, that, that's, that's incredible. Um, yeah. I, I, I'm so thankful for that because I, I know those couples. Yeah. <laughs> and I know their heart and, and I, I know their commitment and, and, and I, I know their, their, their heart for prayer, you know. Um, yeah. Now I have a reason to come to Please do. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah, that, that's the thing about the, this ethnic connection and gospel connection right here. You know, the, right here, you know. Um, I know these people. Like, I've stayed at their homes, you know. And th that's just how um, organic relationships are in ethnic settings. But when it's strategic and it's missional, um, then it's... It, 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 it brings it to a different level. And when we don't try to force our methods, if you are trying to force your PAOC, God bless PAOC, I graduate of the Bible College, but if, you, if you're just living with that expectation, how limited things would have, would have been. Yeah. Um, can I just share um, a, a few nuggets um, and maybe um, just to review, um, I just talked about the biblical premise um, of how the gospel unites us um, and how the cross is the bridge. Um, but that being said, um, let, me, let me just throw some thoughts. Um, maybe write them down if they're useful, keep them, if not, throw it out. Um, If you ever um, have to work with an ethnic church, um, this would be some things that might be in your head. For me, my experience, EJ told me just to tell my story. Yeah. So that's exactly what we're doing. And by the way, I've told them how you woke me up with oh, a knife on my man. neck. It's okay, your, your ordination is fast. You so identity is a huge thing, you know. Identity is a huge, huge thing that we will continue to struggle through. Um, so for me, um, as I left Bible College and went into this, uh, this Ethiopian church, um, I, I had to deal with who am I first. Uh, I had to, for some people, I had to deny the new culture. Um, so in other words, there are things I kind of have to say no to Canadian culture. There's a part of me I have to say no to my old culture, the Ethiopian culture that I had. Um, sometimes I had to compartmentalize my different worlds. It's a lot of work, you know. Um, 
sometimes you have to integrate those two cultures together and try to make a vision out of that. And it's only, it only makes sense for you because you're the one that has lived in those. So I was telling EJ, sometimes I feel like I have four dimensions I live in, <laughs> you know? Um, and for the glory of God, you know? So, so when, when I was doing my internship or when I was doing ministry in a typical normal, in a typical church, and again, even typical church has changed now in Toronto. Um, but if I was doing a ministry in Peterborough, let's say, you know, you'll talk about the Leafs game. <laughs> Everyone understands that. <laughs> you have a three-point sermon, and you make it out to, you know, Cape City for lunch every Sunday. It's, it's pretty simple. Straight Sushale, sorry, man. Get it right. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. Did we have Sushale in, uh, in Peterborough? Yeah, there is. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, Pastor Linda, who actually is EJ's old uh, Sunday school teacher, is our, son, our, our children's pastor now, and she still takes me to Swishale, so she hasn't changed. <laughs> Some things don't change. Uh, and I, I take her to an Ethiopian restaurant and try to force her to eat raw, raw meat. Um, hasn't happened. We do eat raw meat, um, just right off the cow. And if you want to know, talk to me. Uh, it's, I know it sounds really disgusting, but um, yeah, I'll take you out. No problem. I'll meet you with mine. We'll go to a butcher shop, we'll, we'll get a meat, and we'll eat it together. <laughs> and you won't die. I know, I know some, some of the jaws are starting to drop. <laughs> so I got to live between those dimensions, like the Swiss chalet dimension, the raw meat dimension. And so, for, <laughs> so ethnic church ministry, that it's, there's a lot of brain processing that has to happen. That's, a lot of pastors don't last. Because here's what happens. From the time I leave my office and go to the pulpit on any Sunday, I would go past this four dimensions, right? So there's, I would run into a typical second gen graduate. Um, she has her master's, trying to figure things out, working at Starbucks, trying to get into the UN, trying to think about try, how do I make a difference in this world? You know, my dad is a cab driver. He doesn't understand why I can't just get a regular job and get a mortgage and get married, you know. But she's trying to make a difference, you know, thinking about social justice. So I have to keep up with that conversation, you know, because what's valuable for her is one thing. Then I go past that and go to her mom. All her mom cares about is tell my daughter to get married. <laughs> tell, convince my daughter to get married. You guys are not teaching. My job is on the line if this, if this girls are unmarried. Because <laughs> all that matters, some shame on her culture, is that the, the family is honored. She doesn't care about her job. She wants to make sure that she has a good, good job. But yeah, kids matter, you know? Um, and the social standing of the mom. So, and I have to change my posture, right? So with, with this girl, it's like, hey, what's going on? How are you? How's life? You know, did you watch uh, the game last night? I actually don't say that. I don't watch, I don't watch sports. Um, I will make a comment on Netflix show or something. With this mom, though, it would be I have to pause, and I have to have a, con a full-blown three-minute conversation. I can't rush, because I'm younger. It doesn't matter if I'm a pastor. I have to be respectful. Just imagine the emotional stuff that's going on, the brain processing, 
right? Then I keep walking, and then I would run into a board member, you know? That board member wants to please both groups. So I, I have to be able to be visional with him, you know? And, we're, we're, and, and have to make numbers, have to make sense. But he has never gone through what we have gone through. He himself is someone that came from Ethiopia recently. So he does not understand. So he's like, how are you pleasing the most? I, I have to think of that. Um, and then I go down. And now God has blessed us with an English ministry. So um, we have uh, a multicultural service that happens. So I'm running into my Filipino church members, you know? <laughs> so I'm, I'm running into Nikki and talking about her grandma and has zero connection to anything Ethiopian. <laughs> and there's also like Filipino cultural things that we have to learn, right? Um, now this happens on a lot of other churches, but what makes it different for us is the Ethiopian is very strong, right? The Ethiopian is very strong. This, yeah, and not a lot of people understand it, you know. Um, so we live in these four different dimensions. When we say the nations are here, let's engage. What we are really saying is, are you willing <laughs> to have those different layers of process? It's not about packing people in. It's about talking different language, different um, lines of thought. Um, one other important thing about ethnic churches, if you ever encounter it, is that the ethnic church is not only a place of worship. It's the it's essentially a community hub. So I told you, the Orthodox priest actually came to Stone Church. He's not looking for primarily a place of prayer. He's looking for Ethiopians, right? So typically, my job, I, I could be at a hospital. <laughs> I'm the mover of the group. Someone is moving in the church, call the pastor, <laughs> right? Oh, what, what do you guys do Monday to Friday anyways? Come and help me out here. <laughs> Um, a random mom can show up to the church and saying, hey, I have, a, have, I have an interview, so can you watch my kids? And would leave. <laughs> You're not just a preacher. You, 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 you. Now, those things need to change, but you have to understand this when you're signing up. And when you're saying no, there's a culturally respectful way of saying no. For me, it involves a lot of talk a lot of stories, and then being able to say, but you know what, oh, this person is this, this person. You have to be respecting the culture. Um, I think that's, that's probably um, one of the challenges um, that we see. Can I add one more? Uh, not opportunities, challenges is what I'm looking for. Okay. Um, and that kind of leads into the next portion for me. Um, I think next gen is a huge deal for ethnic churches. Dr. Tesfaye, who did um, his PhD at Concordia and has written a book on second gen churches um, in Ethiopian setting, um, got into his area of study because he was a pastor of an Ethiopian church. Um, 
and what happened was one day his, 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 his mom says, hey, let's go to church. His son said, which church? Your church or my church? And he said, but I'm the pastor of the church. I'm, why would you say that? He says, no, your church is for you. So every time you see a cultural church, in that church, there is a second generation Canadians who feel like they don't belong, but at the same time, they kind of belong. First generation pastors don't know what to do with them. So they hire kind of funny-haired guys like myself to go in and let them play basketball. <laughs> I can guarantee you within the Ethiopian churches, they have love for their kids, but they have zero vision for the second generation Canadians, zero vision. And the way they see youth ministry is, if you ever do work in that kind of setting, is more of youth ministry is like glorified babysitting, so Ethiopians can have their service. So I've lived for many years feeling like I was less than the other pastors that preach for the Ethiopians. The only way I actually was able to survive is because I had a sense of mission. Like, I'm doing eternal work on this generation. You gotta have that laser-focused vision. Otherwise, ethnic churches will burn you, like, within three weeks. Within three weeks. Um, second gen is an opportunity, it's a challenge. Um, one more challenge, if I can ask, resources. Me and AJ talk about this all the time. So when I graduated from Bible college, I thought I was ready. <laughs> Bible colleges don't prepare you to a ministry in ethnic churches on a practical level. We took a lot of cultural, cross-cultural courses. They prepared me for the idea of it, the homogeneous principle and things like that. It was a different list. <laughs> um, what, it, what Bible college prepared me for was text, objective truth of the word. That was amazing. Um, even that, it had a Western more of way of reading. Um, but it was still good. But the practical ministry, I wasn't prepared for. Why am I saying this? Every time you see an ethnic church, there are young people in that church ministry who, who are being served by people that actually are not qualified. Yeah. Just because someone speaks English, they're told, hey, you run the youth ministry, you're a youth, youth, youth pastor now. I promise you, I wouldn't have been a youth pastor there if, uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I was young and spoke English. They made me run basketball camp. I don't know how to count basketball. <laughs> EJ would make a good youth pastor back then. Um, <laughs> training ministry opportunity. And usually what happens is another challenge. In shame and honor culture, people wouldn't trust you on day one. But if you stick around, it doesn't matter how bad or how good you are, they trust you. <laughs> the problem is by the time you're actually allowed to do things, like you're with two kids, <laughs> your energy's gone. <laughs> um, that's a challenge, but what's the opportunity? But what would it look like if we actually started having conversations and start to do things like this? Where, hmm, you guys do that well and we do this well. So I just, random thoughts, for example. Right now, 
ministry opportunities in the ethnic church is huge. I know of at least 15 churches right now that are looking for a youth pastor and a children's pastor and they cannot find anyone. Anyone that wants to do youth ministry, talk to me. I'll get you a job next week. <laughs> but remember those four dimensions. <laughs> Within Toronto, the, the church in, in, in Windsor is, is looking for, the Ethiopian church is looking for someone. We, we send youth to, to, to Wind there to teach youth from Toronto. There are a lot of churches within Windsor that can be doing that. You know why? Ethiopians only trust Ethiopians. Not that they are. But what would it look like if me and Kevin start talking and saying, he sells to me, this guy is good. And I say, this guy is good. If he sends me someone from the Bible college, it, it would be remarkable. When we do youth conventions, we pack like 300 people, you know, 300 teenagers. When we do over, I'm not really here to brag about our church, I promise you. We're dealing with weed and everything else too, right? <laughs> um, that's not the case. It's just a cultural hub, right? People show up. Overnight prayer happens. Teenagers pray all night long in Canada today. Um, but what would it look like if we start having conversations and be able to say, yeah, maybe if we can take some of these people, you know, here and and maybe start having conversations. The only reason we had this conversation is because EJ sat on me and put a knife on me. And um, <laughs> from the trauma of it, I'm still remembering him 18 years later. We need to edit this video. <laughs> He's a good guy. <laughs> what would it look? Ministry opportunities. It's, it's huge. Yes, yesterday, two pastors have called me saying, can you please sum find us someone that would teach our kids. All you need is someone that knows their Bible, speaks English. Huge opportunity. I can guarantee you, you can go to any Bible college right now and look for ministry placement opportunities. There's no ethnic church. I, at least my church was never included in that. Uh, it's just a simple conversation. Why? Because our people don't want anything else if it's not Ethiopian. So my job is to actually be that cultural translator and talk to EJ and be able to say, hey, what are you guys doing downtown? Um, two, um, English ministry church plants. This is, should be the next frontier. I think English ministries that are birthed out of, so for us, if I tell you my story, um, like I, I think it was my, my sister that I was talking about, I don't know if I'm like on staff or not, that's me. <laughs> it ended two years ago when I became full-time. But if I have to, for me to explain what I did for the last how many years, it was a statement. You know, I do this, this committee, this, that, this, this, but I was really a pastor. You know, it took forever to be recognized. What am I try, try, trying to say? Um, when we started with the kids that I started with started getting married. So there was no one to, so, so, so there was no one, no one to really do the, the pastoral counseling. So no one would trust me. But at the same time, there was no one to do it, so I started doing it. Um, <laughs> there was no one to do the, the, the weddings. Um, I had to get my ordination and start to do the weddings. Um, what am I trying to say? And th then, then as they got married and had kids, they really couldn't be the youth group anymore. 
So now, I don't know, I think we have probably 15 to 16 different nationalities represented in that Ethiopian church, you know? Um, on any day on stage, there's more Ethiop non-Ethiopians um, when than Ethiopians on the stage. Um, why? Because of the gospel. Um, it, it by nature, to the very least, that lady's prayer. I want my daughter to get married. She would get married, but to a non-Ethiopian. <laughs> <laughs> he needs a church to go to. Where would he go? So our church kind of became that, right? Um, I think uh, I've said too much. Parachurch partnership. We, we downplay. Um, let me give you two, two more opportunities. Um, my mom and many Ethiopians, moms, what they did for a living is they worked um, as PSWs. Immigrant moms, no political correctness. <laughs> when they get hired, they're told you're not supposed to be converting people. They sign. They don't even know what they've signed. Day one, they're laying their hands. <laughs> I'm praying. And get fired and go elsewhere. And uh, regular prayer ministry at church is, I have a problem with my boss. You know? It's probably because she's trying to convert. <laughs> Think of the missional opportunity you have, though, of this godly women who are going to different places and praying. So regular ministry update at church and prayer meetings in Ethiopian churches is what my mom told me. Oh, we're so happy. I'm so excited. Praise Jesus. What happened? This, there was this atheist professor who was known in Canada for basically speaking against churches. Um, amazing, amazing, amazing intellectual. I don't have his name on me. Maybe it's not a good idea. But not a friend of the Christians. <laughs> but my mom worked on him. His end of life care was done by her. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter how much he knows up here. But as he was nearing his death, she would literally anoint him. He has no choice. He can't say no. <laughs> the anointing oil anoint him for prayer healing she says to him your body needs to be healed your soul needs to be healed Jesus loves you and he would curse she was God I love you so much but because he saw see in Canada sometimes ministry is professionalized with people that are from other cultures that are She's a PSW. She's not a pastor. She's not supposed to do this. This God thing must be real. He gave his life to Christ. Mm -hmm. Gave his life to Christ and went to the Lord. And his family sent her an amazing gift. What am I trying to say? What if we start talking about how do we empower people in places of work? Mm -hmm. But yet our evangelism strategy is not necessarily the typical one. think, what would it look like if the face of Christianity changed from our standard denominational faces to actually how our subway line looks like? What would it look like? Um, what would it look like? Was it uh, Gandhi that said, I like your Christ, 
I'll finish in two minutes. I'll, I like your Christ. I don't like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike Christ. Remember that? Mm -hmm. What would it look like for our relationship? So for example, with First Nations, if we had immigrants doing a lot of the mission work, what would it look like for our African-American brothers and who are down in the US and African-Canadian brothers here who are going through so much? Uh, maybe the gospel was presented to them by people that may look like them. Can I use the Ethiopian in me as an illustration? So Ethiopia, culturally speaking, um, has been a Christian nation for, for many years. Um, a lot of the times when I'm sharing the gospel, what I hear our African-American brothers or African-Canadian brothers say is, you know, uh, Jesus is from the West, <laughs> you know? And Jesus is not. Jesus is, that's the white Jesus that you're preaching. And because of everything colonialism has done, you know? One of the things our university group did, we had an outreach at York University. Let's finish, say this and finish. Um, it was at York, <coughs> evangelizing. And because of this hybrid thing that we have, sometimes I find like the, the kids are Canadian, but they just, I see my mom in them, you know? I just don't understand. They just switch between. So they were preaching, and there was a group of um, brothers who were talking about, um, who just, no, we, no we, we, we won't receive Christ because Christianity is obviously from the West, and it's a tool for colonialism. And I do remember having a conversation, being able to say, mm, Christianity really is not a white thing. Because I told them, I'm from Ethiopia, and my heritage tells me, my grandparents have told me, that in fact, before Europe was Christian, we were Christian. <laughs> so for me to be culturally Ethiopian actually means to be a Christian. Because Christianity goes centuries back. And by the grace of God, Ethiopia was never colonized. Because of that, in the culture, there is so much Eastern, Eastern Christian interpretation that it's every day an Ethiopian celebrates like a saint's day. Like, there's just so much. I don't know, I, I, you know, pe people believe that the Ark of the Covenant is in Ethiopia. I don't know what that, but, 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 but around that Ark there is, I mean, it's in the culture's Christianity. So when, when I came here and someone says to me, oh, Christianity is for white people, <laughs> are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> what am I trying to say? Do we stand on our ethnicity to, 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 to preach truth? No, we stand on scripture. But what would it look like to have different faces be able to speak into these issues? How would we bridge the gap? For me, it's the gospel. And the key is, um, yeah, it's, it's the key is the gospel and relationships. Uh, if I leave anything with you guys, relationships matter at the end of the day. Yeah. Relationships, one-on-one -on -one conversations, knowing the person.
Um, so if I can just finish with this. We had, um, I told you 37 years ago, um, in one of those rooms, those two women started a, a Bible study, ended up being the biggest Ethiopian church. Now in Canada, there's over 40 churches that go back and remember this history. And one of that lady actually went to the Lord a few years ago, and her good friend that she met a few years later had a child, her name was Hallelujah. And she actually is bringing a team here tonight to lead you to worship. Wow. She's married to a Jamaican brother. <laughs> her other friend, Kiki, actually get, ended up getting married to a Nigerian brother who's going to be the piano player tonight. And we have an Eritrean, actually we don't even have an Ethiopian tonight. <laughs> when you make the gospel the gospel, it becomes a presentation like this, I guess, but it actually was, I'm just telling stories. That was Heskes Mendefro from the Ethiopian Evangelical Church in Toronto. Well, as I think about uh, many of the things that he said here, I'm, I'm really struck by the fact that uh, two women uh, that were Ethiopian immigrants began to pray together. And today, 37 years later, there are 40-plus uh, Ethiopian churches across Canada. It, it strikes me how important it is for us to uh, to pray not only for uh, the people that are our, our neighbors, uh, but uh, for the world around us. <clears throat> On our next episode, uh, our guest uh, will be Brian Yu, and uh, the topic will be cultural competency for ministry. Brian's been with the uh, Tyndale Intercultural Ministry Center for over five years, where he serves as a qualified administrator of the Intercultural Development Inventory, IDI. He coaches and facilitates intercultural learning for individuals, teams, and organizations. Brian's been serving as a pastor for over 14 years and is currently one of the lead pastors of a church plant in Toronto. He's also the executive director of a faith-based charitable organization serving a subsidized community housing neighborhood in York Region. Brian Yu, uh, please check back for the next episode coming out in two weeks. Well, until that time, you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast, and I'm your host, Kevin Rogers.